Hey there, welcome to Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. That's me. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to various creative types in all sorts of fields about how they do their thing and how they keep up the good fight to uh, to be creative and um, and find their place in the world with all of that. So today my guest is uh, connecting to us via Skype. It's only my second remote interview. I'm a little new to the technology, but I think think we pulled it off okay. Uh, you guys can be the judge of that. Uh, his name is Dave Quantic. I know him because he used to live in LA and he's a filmmaker, um, but he's moved to Seattle a few years ago and he started a new podcast called Fruit Bowl, which is interviews with uh, various queer people about their sexuality, about their experiences, how they learned about sex. It's a very open, honest um examination of of the types of um experiences people have had because i think um there's still so much mystery around sex and people feel like i don't know like everyone's figured it out but them uh and they're into this and they're not into that or whatever and it's just kind of refreshing to hear people being really honest with with uh dave about their experiences so um, I was happy to get him on the Skype line and talk about that. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to encourage you to check out DennisAnyone.net. Um, that is where all of the podcasts are archived. I also want to get a plug in for the party game I co-created, You Don't Know My Life. The holidays are coming up. It's a perfect gift. It's available on Amazon. But <laughs> I say that, but we're almost out of games, right? And we have another shipment coming um, so we're just trying to make what we have last, but we're definitely going to get them in by December for the holidays. And we're doing a new expansion pack, our first expansion pack, uh, the family fun pack. And one of the most common comments we've gotten about the game is, is it okay for teenagers? Is it okay for tweens? And the mechanics of the game is, uh, are very easy. Uh, young people could totally catch on quick, but some of the questions do... Uh, do work better with people with more life experience. For example, what was the worst job you ever had? Well, maybe, you know, a 13-year-old hasn't had a job yet. So washing the dishes. Um, so we tried to create 30 questions that would work for any age group. Um, and we're doing that expansion pack. If you're, li- uh, if you're interested in that, uh, uh, reach out to us at whiteykmlgame.com. We sent out an email to all the people that had previously bought the game about the expansion pack. So if you're not one of those people but you're interested email us and we will um, hook it up for you. Uh, we're hoping to get enough people interested in that expansion pack that we can pull the trigger and get them printed. Um, all right, that's enough plugs. Here without any further ado, it's Dave Quantic. Via Skype, I am talking to Dave Quantic. He's the founder of the podcast Fruit Bowl. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Skype podcast interview with me. My <laughs> second remote interview ever. So thank you. Um, we have. I'm excited. Thank you. You're where we're boldly going where only one person has gone before. <laughs> uh, I wish I were more technically assured, but here we yeah. are. Um, I really wanted to talk to you because I think it's so exciting what you've started. So tell us what Fruit Bowl is for people that don't know already. Yeah, thank you. Um, Fruit Bowl is a podcast that is about queer sex histories um, as told by first person stories of people who experienced them. Um, and it's sort of like this American life or the moth or story core series. If you're an NPR nerd like me, right. Um, which are uh, storytelling 
shows where there's kind of like a monologue from a person. There's not a lot of back and forth between interviewer and interviewee. And I have a set of 15 questions that I ask everybody that leads people through their sort of the first understanding of sex and what that meant all the way up until, you know, when they finally decided what their tastes are and what their identity is and what their preferences are with regards to hooking up and being with people and having sex. So it sort of leads uh, the listener through one person's sexual history. Um, and like I said, you don't really hear me as an interviewer. It's most, mostly a monologue. So it's very um, uh, intimate and revealing series, I think. Um, and it's, you know, conversations, it's, it's sort of giving voice to conversations that are most often had um, in private between, you know, people who know each other. So I'm kind of like trying to pull the curtain back in a little bit and make more public sort of the efforts and the sometimes victories and then also failures of those of us who've been trying to figure out our sexuality. <laughs> um, and it's all ages, um, all gender, all gender identity. Um, I'm trying to get a real wide uh, selection of interviewees to, to feature. Um, and my goal is to shoot uh, and film and record a um, hundred interviews. And the reason I say film is that I'm also filming each interview and in preparation for a feature documentary that is also going to be about sort of queer coming of age stories and, and that sort of thing. I like that. You've got multimedia uh, ambitions for this. That's great. Yeah. And the reason I'm doing that is, is twofold. One is to promote, you know, this, the, the feature film and also to try to find more interviewees because I realize that I have a kind of a limited scope with who I know and who I can ask. So there's that. But then also um, what the podcast provides me is a way to feature one person's story per episode. So whereas in, in the feature film, I will likely have to cut between interviews and kind of create a narrative that is more sort of uh, about the the sexual evolution of queer people. So I may not be able to feature everyone's interview in the feature film, but I am able to feature just one person's story per episode of the podcast. So there's sort of work in, in collaboration with each other, which I'm really excited about because I feel like podcasting especially is, is, is really well suited to like personal stories that are very intimate. And that's, that's what's, I think has happened so far with the episodes that we've produced. I'm really excited about sharing them with more people. So it's, it's definitely a process of, of promoting it and letting people know about the project. Cause uh, you know, that's kind of half the battle. I'm sure you know that from yeah. being a podcaster. <laughs> right. Where so, did the initial idea come from? When did you think, I think I want to explore this. Yeah. Um, well, I live in Seattle now. I was once an LA person. Yep. I live in Seattle now, and here there is something called the Hump Film Festival. Right. Which, I've uh, heard of it. Is, yeah, it's uh, promoted by The Stranger, which is a weekly alternative newspaper here, and it's also created by Dan Savage, who 
has a very popular sex advice podcast called Savage Love. Right. And so he produces this festival each year. That's a collection of maybe about 20 five minute films that are that are uh, pornographic and sex positive from like a whole different group of people. There's like something for everyone in the program. So I wanted to just make a film for that festival last year. So I started shooting interviews of people in the summertime. And I came up with this list of about 15 questions that I asked everybody. And then from that, I sort of identified a commonality theme, which was, uh, you know, stories of how queer people first discovered porn. Right. So I made, I made that short called Porn Yesterday. It, it got into the festival last year, and it actually ended up winning the jury award. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, the last year, it's been touring with, with Hump and uh going all the way all around the uh, country and um so that's been exciting and so because of that film's success and 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 also because i was only able to feature a very brief little snippets of people's interview because that i mean i interviewed 18 people for a five minute film so you right. can imagine some people literally have like one word that literally they, they just say hustler <laughs> Yeah, and or then, yeah, know, or exactly like Playboy or something. Penthouse, so. yeah. <laughs> so Hustler. Was... My brother used to have porns, and I would find them, and it was always very exciting. But Hustler <laughs> was no joke. Like, no. oh my gosh, yeah. Yes, they were That's doing funny. like origami with the uh, <laughs> body parts. It was yes. a lot, but um, it was more explicit. I actually found a Hustler magazine when I was at the age of which I got really interested in, in porn. And right. yeah, I was kind of shocked by all of the, the content. Sure. Um, um, oh, so, so just to complete what I was saying, like, yeah. so after I made uh, porn yesterday, I had all of the rest of everybody's interviews and I was like, well, there's so much good stuff in here. How do I share these stories? Um, and I was like, well, I'd love to make a feature film that sort of leads audiences through, queer coming of age. And then I was like, well, yeah, I may not be able to still include everyone's interviews. So why don't I just make a podcast that features each interview? And so that's how that happened. I kind of just sort of taught myself how to do a podcast. I, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, Welcome but it's to the club. <laughs> I still don't know what I'm doing. I've been doing it a long time. I know. Um, uh, what are some of the questions you said you have 15 of them? What are some of the ones that are the, Sort of the more offbeat questions, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, first I start out by just asking people a little bit about their background. I don't insist that people use their last names. Actually, I prefer that they don't, so that there's a little bit more privacy for, for everyone. And then I ask them, when did you first learn about sex? Just the idea of sex. Right. Not even not even how it functions or what it what it means, but just that that the thing sex exists. Right. And then, um, how did you first experiment? How did you first research, um, your interest? Um, at one point, did you realize that you weren't, your brain wasn't operating like a heteronormative persons would in terms of what you're attracted to? Um, what was your first time? Like who was your first crush? Um, 
what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you during sex. That's kind of a fun one, obviously. Right. Yeah. And that's a little bit more atypical than, than just leading people through their coming of age stories. So, right. um, another one is what is your best move in bed? There you go. Um, <laughs> and that's obviously a really fun, uh, question. And then how is dating different now than as compared to when you first came out? That's, a, that's an interesting question. And then, then my final one is if you could go back in time and ask yourself or tell yourself one thing you've learned about sex, uh, what would it be? Yeah. So that's kind of a selection of the questions that I ask. I, I, I love the different ways that you come at it. And I heard on one of the episodes that you said that this is a project you probably wouldn't have done if you were still in L.A. Uh, you know, yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought a lot about that statement since I said that. And um, I think that was a little unfair. I, I have this sense that maybe in L.A. sometimes people are a little less forthcoming with their private lives because people there are so intent on um, succeeding in the, the Hollywood uh, world. I think you know, you're so, right. I think you're right. People are afraid that one mess up is going to kill their dream. Yeah. So there yeah. is that hesitancy. And, and I, I think know that's that, true. Yeah. And I know that no, not everyone in L.A. has that ambition, but there is more often a, a, a cautiousness. How's it right? Yeah. Everything is like, how are you doing? What are you working mm-hmm. on? How's it going? Oh, I'm not doing enough. I got to look like I'm doing good. So Mm -hmm. I I think there's some, something to that idea. Um, yeah. And I really want people to know that I'm not actually searching for the most outrageous and the most provocative or shocking stories that people can provide. I really want there to be a variance in terms of what, what kind of people I'm interviewing and, and what kind of stories they have, even if they don't think that they're, that um interesting i think that they i think somebody out there would get a lot from just hearing about one person's journey you know um and i do have people on the show uh, that i interview who like are currently amateur porn stars you know so it, it really runs the spectrum and and again like i i do think that seattle has a kind of a kinkier side to it much in the same way that San Francisco is a little bit more yeah kinkier than than LA For but sure. I mean honestly there's there's lots of sex positive and kink positive people in in LA who are doing amazing creative work and they wouldn't care about disclosing their their sexual history because they want to own it and so that's kind of why I think maybe I was being a little bit unfair when I said that, um, and, and kind of painting LA in a very broad stroke. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah I, I didn't feel like I, I felt like you, you were onto something. I, I sort yeah. of shared that observation. So I get that. Um, what has some of the feedback been like that you've gotten? Are there any, um, comments that meant a lot to you hearing from, from people? Um, yeah, I actually heard, or I was chatting with the guy through my Instagram account, the fruit bowl podcast account. And he was like, look, um, I'm, I'm by, I'm not out to anybody, but I love your series. Like he was really getting into the, just the openness and, and 
the frankness and the sort of lack of um, self-censorship, um, I really encourage people to just be really, really raw and honest as much as they can, because I feel like, and also to provide a lot of detail about their stories and stuff, because I feel like the more specific and unique each person sounds, the more people will get th from it, you know? Um, but he was really saying how, how impactful it was. Um, not that it, you know, changed his life, but my goal in making the series is to really sort of, well, basically to make a series that I wish I could have listened to when I was first coming out and was so freaked out about sex and what it meant and what all I was expected to do and, and all the different things that I could do. You know, I was just like a total, you know, pile of anxiety. And my, my goal is to make a series that could maybe just sound like you talking to a friend or somebody who you could ask anything to, you know, and ask all the questions that you want to know. So yeah, it means a lot. I feel like, you know, I'm sure you know this. It's just hard to get the word out and get people listening. I, I'm convinced that once people do start to kind of share it and talk about it um, and engage with it, that it'll start to get more listeners. Um, yeah. And I understand. I've only been doing it for like a few months. So, you know, things take time. I always like on your episodes where people have things go wrong because I think yeah. we think that other people always have perfect, everything goes off without a hitch. <laughs> And yeah. we're, we're the only ones that ever have problems or, you know, things don't quite work out. And I, mm -hmm. so I'm always comforted when I hear somebody say, oh yeah, I, I wasn't, that, that didn't turn me on or that I wasn't able to get it up or whatever it is. <laughs> I, Cause I think yes. we think that everybody else has it all figured out. And right. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think you're probably talking about the, the stories people tell when I ask them what the most embarrassing thing that's happened to them yeah that's usually where a lot of people are very reflective but what i love about queer people especially one is how funny um people are yeah. uh, i feel like there is a i think what comes through in my interviews is is a queer sense of humor that is really hard to define sometimes and then also what i love is how many of us are compassionate with ourselves when it comes to our sexual history and how at peace we are with, with our journey and how reflective we can be about how hard it's been, but then also be kind of, you know, optimistic about the future. Um, yeah. One of the things I wrote down as I was listening is uh, being kind to ourselves. I think you yeah. commented on that in the last episode. Uh, mm -hmm sort of being able to, you know, let yourself off the hook about your journey yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. Has it changed the way you have sex in your life, talking to different people? <laughs> that is a good question. You know, I do find myself when I hook up or when I flirt with people in public, I often do lately, I find myself sort of turning on my interviewer Right. Uh, switch. Yeah. Because I, people love to talk about themselves, you know, and I love hearing what people say. And I think, I think one thing a lot of us aren't taught because a lot of us aren't, aren't given any kind of guidance is, is how to talk about sex. 
um, in general. I, th- I just don't think that that's taught in our in our culture, and especially when it comes to queer people, we're taught to keep it to ourselves and not tell anyone. So there's sort of that that's built into our our development. So I do find myself kind of engaging in talking about sex and getting to know what people like or don't like. Um, I'll check in while I'm having sex, maybe a little bit more often now, because I feel like, um, you know, consent and, and making sure people are on the right page right. is something that's really important to me. And, and I talk about that too, in, in the podcast, uh, you know, how important it is to just talk to your partner and get to know them and want to make sure that everything that's, that's going on in the bedroom is, is a okay. And, you know, so I, yeah, I think maybe I just talk more. <laughs> maybe yeah. people want me to shut up now. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, cause I, growing up, I was taught nothing about sex or if, right. I, if I was, that it was bad, that it was wrong, that it was mm-hmm. like, I, the idea that like sex could be something pleasurable and life affirming like that 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 couldn't have been further from what i was being taught and shown so it's like trying Mm -hmm. to i think sex is one of the things that my attitudes about have changed the most throughout my life yeah Uh, when i was younger i remember saying like well if you want sex to mean something you have to treat it like it does and now i look at that guy and i'm like oh please (laughs) what calm down like <laughs> like like taking it so seriously and yeah. um but also you know we were also i'm i'm probably a, lo- a little older than you for sure but like aids was a big thing right yes um, yes i mm-hmm. it was already a thing before i started before i um started having sex so it wasn't yeah. i i was aware but it was so right out of the gate you were like this could kill you um yes. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. And we were taught that. Yeah, we were, for we were sure. taught that it could kill you. Yeah. Um, one just about that, like one of the fascinating things so far about interviewing so many different kinds of people at so many different stages in their life. I mean, the the, the youngest I'll I'll agree to interview is maybe twenty six, just because I feel like twenty somethings are still figuring out. But what one thing I've I've discovered about the all the generations is first the generational divide of, of AIDS and the AIDS crisis. And those of us who were taught to never, ever not use a condom. And then also the post AIDS generation where they've been on prep for their entire sexual lives and they have bareback sex without thinking about it. I mean, if you think about that, how massive, uh, a shift that is, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's not been a lot of talk about how, how much it's changed having sex. And that's what I hope to, uh, sort of talk about. Um, the other thing generationally that I've discovered is how much the internet has affected people's, um, early sex education. Um, people who were young and have access to the internet could just, google something to figure it out whereas those of us who are a little older didn't have that you had to steal your um dirty magazines mm -hmm. from your brother's room put them in your sock in a roll and then you had to put (laughs) them back exactly how they were yeah i mean it was it was you had to really work not like today you did one thing i think is 
one thing I think about is interesting about amateur porn and the internet. I think there that more, different types of bodies are considered more sexy now than they were yes. maybe in the nineties mm-hmm. and like that that gay porn era of like you know Ryan Idol and Jeff Stryker and like yep. I think that that. Um, and that, I think that's a positive thing. I think that yeah. it used to be like you had to look a certain way or you weren't even in the game and that's not, mm-hmm. and that's not true anymore. That is true. I feel like that's amazing. Um, there's more diversity, more representation, um, of different kinds of, of bodies. Um, yeah, that's, that's a huge, huge thing that the internet has provided. And then also just as a, as a forum for people to connect each other and to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, was there a, so, was there an interview that you did that was moving, particularly moving to you? Yeah, of course. You know, maybe ones where I identify a little bit more sure. with the person's story. Um, some some of which I haven't yet posted. I've only just posted the first uh, sixteen or so interviews, but right. You know, um, I have a friend who was raised in Nebraska. I'm a Kansas boy. Right. You know, and a lot of his journey was so similar to mine um, and didn't really have a very easy time of it um, back in the Midwest. And, I mean, that's a common narrative, too, Um, you know, because so many of us who live in metropolitan areas came from somewhere else. Um, and we came here because we wanted to just for it to be easier. (laughs) Um, right. Yeah. So I guess it's the ones who, who, who have had that journey that I identify the most with and are the most moving just because I, I can, their story is mine, you know? And, And I think that that's a really common story of a lot of queer people. Were you surprised that that people were willing to be so open, or was it difficult to find people? How was the process of finding people yeah. that were willing to to be as candid as um, as they needed to be for the podcast? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, and something that I'm struggling with right now because for the short that I made for Hump, I basically just asked my friends here, right? And I think because they knew me and they knew they trusted me, there was less hesitation with the volunteering, but I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks and I'm starting more from scratch. I'm still asking people I know for referrals or if, if they want to do it, but I am finding it difficult, more difficult now to find new interviewees because there is, you know, there's a risk there that I would be exploitative of what they say or, let it be released in a way that they don't uh, approve of, you know? Um, so I understand hesitancy. And I mean, you're, I'm asking them to tell their very private sex histories to a stranger who's going to also film them doing it. Right. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a big ask, but I, it's and a I, big think, ask. I think everybody has stuff around sex that if other people knew, yeah. they would judge them or they would think less of them or they would That's think they true. were weird. I think we would, I think we all have things like that. Yeah. Uh, which I think is why your, your podcast is, is, is important and refreshing because it kind of, you listen to it and you kind of can let yourself off the hook about certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think a lot of people who do it find it very cathartic. 
yeah, um, and and meaningful to them just personally, um, especially because like right now I'm releasing the interviews that I made a year ago, right? And uh, before I ever post an an episode, by the way, I always make sure to get a hundred percent approval from anyone who's featured on it. So right. if, if they have a problem with even just one word, I will remove it. Um, cause I don't want to post anything. They're not a hundred percent behind, but, but the people who I interviewed a year ago, even in just a year's time, they've changed so much. So I'm really just asking for a snapshot of people's lives. Um, right. and, and, and in a way you could, you could say that, maybe you might want to just do it for nostalgia's sake to just get the little, uh, t- take a little snapshot of your life and what, what you're sort of feeling about right now in your life with regards to sex and, and, and your identity. Yeah, no, I think it's important. And I, I thought about the idea of, of like, could I do this? Could I do this kind mm-hmm. of interview and be that honest? And I don't know the answer, um, <laughs> but I think it's, uh, it's worth pondering. Um, mm-hmm. So you also picked some questions from my observation deck. Some of them kind of relate to what you do. Um, <laughs> right. Who was your biggest celebrity crush when you were when you were growing up? Yeah, I chose this one because I also ask it in in my right. my set of interview questions. My my standard a- a- answer is Eric Estrada from Chips. Of course, he was so <laughs> sexy and the pants yeah. were tight. And but also he was kind of a hothead. Like he was a little. Was full he? Of, he was full of himself a little bit. He had a little bit of like he knew. Yeah. He had some swagger. He had some swagger for sure, but he was he and was super hot. Also, like I was a little midwestern boy, so right. there weren't a lot of like Latino uh, culture around me. Right. Um, and I was fascinated with with L.A. of course, and the sexiness of like a a motorcycle cop. Right. That I mean that that doesn't exist in Kansas. <laughs> Yeah, with a nice big mustache. I think that's good. What's yeah. your What's your best random celebrity sighting? Wait, what, who's your celebrity crush? You can know we, what? Can I ask you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had a big crush on Willie Ames from Eight Is Enough, mm. and uh, Tommy Bradford. He had that curly hair, and yeah. uh, he had a van. And I'm sure that he banged people in that van. I'm sure it. <laughs> sure of it. He wore angel flight pants, which are my favorite. And, wow. Yeah. Oh, I could. I yeah. It's detailed. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Then I think he went on and became very religious. So, um, oh, you know, it happens. But yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your best random celebrity sighting? <laughs> I also chose this one because, as you know, I used to live in LA. That's yeah. how we know each other. Um, and this was this occurred at the old. Virgin Megastore at Sunset and Crescent Heights. Crescent Heights, yes, with yeah, the listening stations. I, uh, right. I used to it go actually... in there and drop like $150. Like, <laughs> what was, what was happening? Like, where, remember when you had money for things like that? I, right? Never mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, actually, I was at a listening station. Right. Listening to music. And... I turn around and see a friend of mine from high school and I greeted him. I was just like, Oh my God, how are you? And then I realized that it wasn't my friend from high school. I just assumed that I knew him and it was Toby McGuire. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. And I think he knew what had happened, but I was 
mortified. I like turned beet red and I was like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. And I just like ran away, but he couldn't have been nicer. And I think this was at the height of his Spider-Man. Spider-mania. Yeah. yeah, It was kind of a cool LA moment. I mean, I have so many others having lived in LA, but that's probably the best one. That's my, yeah. You you had a really good interaction. Um, one of my first was like Paula Abdul at arts deli. And my friend oh, Alan wow. sent a mimosa over to the table, which I thought was very audacious and a little embarrassing, but yeah. I still remember it. Um, <laughs> okay, you also picked this one, roommate or neighbor story. Oh, God, yeah. Um, it's funny. You know, I, I also, I lived in New York before I moved in L.A. Right. Um, and as as many people could imagine, like, roommates in new york are even more crazy um than ones in la but uh it was 1999 and i had just found out i got into ucla film school and i was preparing to leave new york to go to film school and at the time i was i had found this straight couple Uh to rent the other room in my apartment right um and they fought constantly. I mean, it was just like bickering all oh, the time. God, Ugh, it was the worst. And and whenever I would listen to their arguments, I could never identify who was right because they were both such terrible people. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as a as an example of their terribleness, one I realized after a month of living with them that they never ever bought toilet paper. That's not good. So they used yeah. yours. Yeah, they just would use mine without ever the expectation that we would share you yeah. know, the cost, which is, of course, minimal. But it, there was a sort of uh, an ethical no, side to it. that you're, I could, you're in the right. It's outrageous yeah, that they just, right? yeah. So we would rarely see each other because we just had this really tiny kitchen in common. So we were both sort of in our rooms with the doors closed because we couldn't really stand each other. But so as an experiment, I started to keep the toilet paper in my bedroom and only carry it into the uh, bathroom when I was using it. Oh, that's right. There there wasn't ever any toilet paper there. Right. And then, so I started doing that. And then a week later, I realized that we were out of paper towels. Because they had been using the paper towels as toilet paper. Yeah. Isn't that gross? It's super gross. They didn't take the hint and go to uh, Rite Aid or whatever. No, there's some sort of weird proving of some point on their part where i'm just yeah. like okay yeah you you gra- congratulations you don't buy toilet paper i don't know <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> they, they were determined not to um what yeah. did you get picked on for as a kid oh yeah this is a good one i mean of course i was picked on for being a sissy right. um that's the less word than... that's the word that rankles the most for me actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah for sure and you know Looking back, I think the reason it bothered me so much is because I knew it was true. Yeah. They, kids are so intuitive. Right. You know, they, they really find people's weaknesses. I mean, adults know this, I'm sure, the ones who are parents, that kids are, kids are good. They're, they're tuned in, and they have zero filter. Right. You know? <laughs> but um, I, I was teased right 
like as early as first grade. And the reason I remember this is because one of my first memories from that part of my life is that my mom had taken me to the local uh, shopping mall and bought me a pair of jeans that had um, a little cartoon character on the back pocket. Nice. Um, that I was like in love with, of course, I thought it was so cute. And then I went to school and there was a girl there who was wearing the same pair of jeans. Oh shit. <laughs> That's a disaster. Yeah. I was mortified. Even at that young age, I understood that I was wearing girls jeans and that that was extremely shameful. And people started making fun of me and laughing at me. And I, I think I even maybe tried to run home like during lunch and change. Cause I was so embarrassed. Did you ever wear them again? Or was that it? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, do you remember them getting worn and, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I wore them only when I was not going to school. Right. In yeah, safe I, places. Mm-hmm, I knew I was, that was not allowed anymore. So, Oh, oh that's devastating. Cause you love them so much. I know. I was so excited about wearing them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fuck. Um, <laughs> and this is another question that you picked. What cassette did you play so much? You feel like you wore it out. <laughs> Um, Janet Jackson control. Thank you. Yes. That, that album came out at a very important time in my life. Um, this is a more involved and random story, but I just happened to go to a boarding school in eighth grade. Oh, wow. Um, okay. O- overseas in Austria. Oh, interesting. It's a totally random story. Right. But while, while I was there, I only really had like five cassette tapes that I'd brought with me from the U.S. Right. And, and I think Control had, had come out just before I left for overseas. And, and I wore the shit out of that cassette. I just listened to it so much. It, and just the, the songs themselves and her, her Janet Jackson-ness. Yes, um, they were her, awesome. They, she's very empowered in yeah. that album and uh yeah it just it just meant a lot to me in terms of her message you know? yeah so yeah that's probably the one i wore out the most have you seen the movie hustlers not yet it opens with a janet song where she's like Ooh. this is a story about control oh, my control it's the it. opening of the movie oh my god so, yeah i want to see that it's good i liked it yeah i've heard amazing things yeah j-lo is a goddess and mm-hmm. she's really good in it yeah i'm all about it Um, so how can people learn more about, uh, fruit bowl? How can they find it? What do they need to do? Yeah. Um, I have a website that's fruitbowlpodcast.com and that has all of the links to it, to the different podcast aggregators. And, um, it also has, um, a blog, uh, post that, that I post each week's or not each. Not, I'm not weekly yet, um, but each episode's um, content that you can listen to on the website if you don't want to, you know, download through a podcast aggregator. And then also a list of uh, frequently asked questions if people are interested in volunteering to be interviewed. And then actually a link to the questions themselves so that people can can look at everything that I ask. And it's very detailed, and I go into sort of suggestions for people to to think about the different answers. And I find that my interviews are, are much stronger when people have uh, the ability to prepare their right. stories and to sort of even write things down. You know, I, I actually interviewed myself um, for the, the series and people can listen to my, I listened uh, to uh, it. It was good. Yeah. 
number i think it's episode three is mine but that there's still like stories that i'm still recalling now that i didn't even touch on when i recorded mine so um it is best to sort of think deeply um you know and i would encourage people to do that anyway even if they don't want to be interviewed by me i think it's it's there's value in us owning our past and and um being at peace with it and yeah, being gentle with ourselves about, you know, how we got to where we are now. Um, that's something that I think the podcast really encourages people to do. And then, um, also like I'm on Twitter at fruitful pod and Instagram fruitful podcast. So I love to engage with people on those mediums too. I'm only just now trying to sort of figure out how to use Twitter. Um, in support of the project, but, but sadly nobody can find me on fucking Facebook because they've been such like assholes about flagging the content, even though my website contains no pornographic images. Right. There's just certain words that jump out and they, that's crazy. I know it's so frustrating because so many documentarians and podcasters re- rely on Facebook to promote themselves. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think somebody must've flagged my website address. So now it's got, it's been like red flagged forever. Um, cause I've had friends try to promote and, and help me find new subjects and interviewees. And, and they say that even every time they try to post the website address, it, it doesn't go through. So, really? That's, yeah. And there's no appeal process. There's nothing you can do because what you're doing is so yeah. positive. I know. It's but so it's annoying. sexual. Yeah. It's sexual and it freaks people out, people especially are freaked out about sex. Mm-hmm. And they're freaked out about the honest discussion about sex. Yeah. You know. And yes. I think if it were, maybe even if it were an advice um, podcast, that might be more. I don't know, allowable yeah. on their yeah. parts. I don't know. They haven't actually explicitly written me and said I'm banned, but right. I know for a fact that every time I try to post about it, it doesn't work out. So, Damn, that makes me mad. I'm really pissed off about that. I am too. Um, what do you miss most about LA? <laughs> the weather, okay. of course. But my friends, yeah. yeah. I miss my community there. Um you know, I went there for, for film school right. and made so many amazing friends. Also through Outfest, I think that's how you and I met. Probably, yes. Uh, I, I miss that that whole crowd. And I'm hoping to actually come this winter and shoot interviews there. Um, awesome. Yeah, I'm hoping to do that and and work all of my, my contacts there. So, yeah, I love coming back. You know, I love visiting because i can navigate the city pretty easily just because i know it so well and and see everybody and get some sunshine in i'm gonna need that for the winter time you can go to the virgin megastore oh wait it's gone (laughs) there's you can you can go to the record store there's literally one record store in la and i think it's closing or moving i don't know amoeba Um, Amoeba. i heard something's happening with amoeba but it's literally the one record store I loved Amoeba. I loved it's going great. there. Yeah. I, I think the the Amoeba Arclight combo. Yeah. I'm, I miss just going and getting my little fruit shake there. Yeah. 
uh, outside the arc light and then going to watch a movie and smoking a little weed and then going to look at records. Yeah. It's a whole <laughs> it's day. The, it's the little things. Oh, another big thing I miss about LA, the donuts. Really? LA yeah. has better donuts. Oh my God. The donuts in Seattle suck. I'm really? sorry. They're all cakey and fancy yeah, pants. That's bullshit. I'm, you I'm want like, old school. I want a good like Korean deli. Yeah. Uh, donut. That's like, completely fake tasting yeah that's it <laughs> that's perfect um so wrapping it up what is it meant to you to have this project in your life what has it brought to your life oh god so much i mean this sounds cheesy but i honestly think that this was the project that i was meant for nice. and it's the the one that i'm most passionate about and and i'm most committed to in the most long-term way um you know, while I was in LA, I made a lot of narrative shorts that right. were about queer coming of age. And I made also some documentary and experimental films, but I really tried hard to make it in the narrative world in, in LA. And it is, it was hard, especially with queer content, you know, and nothing ever really caught fire. And I think maybe it was also a result of me not feeling as passionate about it as I should have, you know? Right. Um, so I'm not blaming LA for my career, not ever taking off with regards to narrative filmmaking, but like just in the last year working on this project, it feels so natural to me. Like I, I just, everything about it is represents the way in which I want people to talk about sex and to have a more compassionate view about it with themselves and also with their partners and to reflect on how far that we've come you yeah. know, as, as a group and also just as individuals. So I think it's like a celebration and it's also very honest. And I think one thing that was missing from a lot of my narrative films in LA was like a personal honesty. Um, and this project has that. And I just want to, spread the word as much as I can. Cause I feel like everyone, every queer person who listens to it, they'll, they'll eventually find something that they can identify with, um, with regards to people's stories. And that, that, that's exciting to me. Um, just cause I feel like often with queer people, it is so hard for us to connect with each other in a real and honest way. There's right. a lot of layers of, of, identity and and personality that we that are often serves as a an obstacle to true communication and compassion with each other so i just feel like the the podcast medium especially is so intimate um that i really want to use it to to that advantage nice well i think it's awesome what you're doing uh i get a lot out of listening to it and um i hope it just gets bigger and bigger and and you just keep doing it and maybe i'll see you when you come to la I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest. I really it's my pleasure. It. All right. <laughs> uh, check out Fruit Bowl, the podcast. And uh, thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks again to Dave Quantic for doing the podcast. And check out his podcast, Fruit Bowl. All right. So this happened. I am just going to talk through what happened um, to me last Saturday, like a day in the life, um, because there's some interesting developments that happened. Um, so Saturday morning, I go to the dog park, I'm bringing the dogs back and I kind of go over this little hump thing and all of a sudden my car sort of 
my Toyota Prius, uh, sort of this red light kind of goes on and it, and, it, and it moves a little differently, but we make it home fine. Um, I take it into Toyota, my regular guy, and he's like, you know what, it's time. The, this Toyota's given up the ghost. So I've had it for 15 years. It's a Toyota Prius. It's been a really good car, but I think I'm going to have to look into getting another car. Uh, probably a used one. Um, I'm not in a financial place to spend a lot or I don't know. It was kind of a huge blow like, oh my God, I can't do this right now. But I'm choosing to try and look at it not as a disaster and the final straw. Because <laughs> it's 15 years. I mean, I, I, that car's done me good. So I, my, it's currently running. I'm hope, I'm still getting from point A to point B, but I feel like, you know, my mechanic said that doing the improvements that it would need would be thousands of dollars and it's, you know, it's time. It's time. So I'm starting to scout around like on CarMax and things like that. I haven't bought a car in 15 years. So if anybody has any tips about brokers or websites or anything like that to do with buying a used car, I welcome them at, uh, you can email me at Dennis at DennisHensley.com. Um, so that was the morning. So, um, in the afternoon, my friends, Brett and Danny and Steve and Andrew, um, Brett and Andrew are married and they live together. And, um, Brett, I think started the idea, but the idea is basically we're going to do a photo shoot of us dressed as zombie mermaids. Okay. Because I'm 50-something, and that's what I feel like doing with my friends. So, <laughs> we all order fins. Uh, I got one from Amazon. Um, and Brett, of course, does the makeup because he's a professional makeup artist. So, I go over there. I'm a little on edge about my car. Like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Um, and then I do um, a zombie mermaid photo shoot. And it's a really fun time. It's just so, it was great. Um, the pictures have not come out yet. We're going to, I think we're going to launch them onto the world on Halloween. I've only seen a couple of the shots that I'm in, but, um, the makeup looks amazing. It, they're, the, they, uh, Brett and Andrew got this backdrop, like under the sea backdrop. I don't know. It was just crazy. And we didn't go out anywhere. I mean, some of the guys did, I think, use the makeup and went out to parties that night. But the whole point was to do, do get out, get into these crazy costumes and makeup, take some pictures, and then, and we're done. And I kind of like that because I didn't really need to go out in the world. Plus, in that fin, you can't even move. Um, but um, it was really fun. And, and uh, it's just a reminder of, like, you take the good, you take the bad. Charlotte Ray was right. I don't know if she ever said that or if that was just the theme song, but, um, but yeah, so I will be posting some zombie mermaid, um, photographs when we get the go ahead, probably on Halloween, but, um, it was a blast and thanks to those guys for, for putting it together and, um, I'll keep you posted on the car stuff. Um, Enzo's still here. He's very cute. He insists on being the bed on the bed whenever I record my intros He's kind of like the laziest co-host that there ever was, but he's adorable, so it makes up for it. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.